believing with you for all the things that uh, you're believing for and celebrating with you all the things you're celebrating. And it's wonderful to have a, a church family. Amen. And there's more of us that, that aren't here. We pray for them. We love them. We encourage them. We want to bless them. We want them to be here. And those that are far away, we love you. And we're praying for you as well. I want to tell you a little joke, if I can remember it. <laughs> there was a, there was a, there was a young a barber, who, let's just say he came to Grace and Truth Church, one time, and he got saved. Of course, came to the right place. Thank you, Lord. But he was so excited about his new faith, he. He was just, he couldn't wait to begin sharing it with others, right? And so he, he said, the, the, as he went to work on Monday at his barbershop, he said, the first person that comes in, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share the gospel with them, and I just can't wait. And he's there, and he's ready for work, and sure enough, the first man walks in the door, and he says, I'd, I'd like to shave. And he said, all right, sir. Well, welcome. Good to see you. And he says, I just have a seat right over here in the barber chair, and I'll be right back. And he, went, he, he runs back into the back, and he says a quick prayer. He's like, Lord, I, the first customers come in, and, and just like I, I said, I'm excited. I'm going to share the gospel with them. And I just pray that you... Help me, Lord, and give me what to say. And he, and he comes out of the back room, and he's got his Bible in one hand and a razor in the other. And he looks at the man, he says, I've got one question for you. Are you prepared to die? So he, he needs to keep coming for a few weeks. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get sorted out. But no. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, we've, uh, we've heard some wonderful testimonies this morning, and always expect that. Expect good from God because he's a good God. Amen. And he wants us to have everything that Jesus died to provide us with. Apparently more than we want to receive it sometimes. Or more than our level of faith or knowledge allows. Temporarily. Amen. We're going to get there with his help. Let me ask you a question. Is God responsible for... The tragedies and the evil in the world? He is not. Do you know that a lot, most of the world, and I'm going to venture and say most of the churches say that he is. This is a problem. Yeah. Um, are we against any part of the body of Christ? No. Do I make a lot of statements against 
bad theology? Yes, I do. But it's not in hatred, it's in love. Because I'm trying to kill sacred cows <laughs> that have been raised up in the churches. Amen. And that's all. We love everyone, especially the body of Christ. And all the parts. We have red heifers in Texas. They're celebrating in Jerusalem. <laughs> I did hear about that. If I'd have known about that, I could have got them happy a while back. I think I've got some red heifers myself. <laughs> in the beginning, folks, God gave man, talking about in the beginning when he created the earth and and he, he put Adam and Eve in the garden. He, he gave man his identity. He gave man his authority. He gave man his blessing and purpose. He even gave him a job to do. Tend and protect the garden. That means there was something to protect it from. He gave man dominion. Are you familiar with that word? It just means control or authority over the earth. He gave this earth to man. And God gave us his glory. But sin, when it entered in, it resulted in an instantaneous change. He said, the day that you eat of it, that fruit, they could eat anything there. Just that one tree. The knowledge of good and evil. Don't. The day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And they did. Now they lived on to be about 900 years old. Adam did, but they died spiritually. And when our spirit man died, our glory was lost. Instantly, fear replaced faith. I'm, I'm not laughing at that. I'm laughing at the joke I told a couple weeks ago about the little boy who found the leaf in the Bible, the family Bible. He said, I think I found Adam's underwear. But <laughs> instantly, Fear replaced faith. That's why they hid from God. And dominion that we were talking about or the control of the earth that God had given to us, it didn't go back to God. It was in our custody. We had care and control and possession of it. We had power of attorney. We had all the legal right to the dominion or the control of this earth, and it was lost. It was usurped or given over by us to that deceiver, that liar, that dragon, that Satan. That's what happened. We, man, became spiritually separated from God. And man's free will ever since then 
our choices, which God never took away our free will. He gave it to us knowing that it would cause him pain, knowing what would happen. But otherwise, without enduring that pain and taking that chance, he would never get a family that he desired of his own. He would just have robots. Servants that didn't have an opportunity to claim him or not, or to based on love, which is what he wanted, a family, a real family. It's what his son, Jesus, wanted. Cain killed Abel, right? It's an example of our free will. Bad choices. Why did God allow that, people say? Did God allow that? It's because he's holy and just that it happened. It had nothing to do with him. But God gives his word and he holds himself accountable to his own word. You notice how Jesus, who is the exact representation of God, in John 14, 27, he said, Peace I give to you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives do I give unto you. In other words, I'm not going to take it back. I can't. I said it's yours, and that settles it. If I was unstable in my words and my ways, everything would come unwound. It's basically what he, he could have added to that. But he doesn't have to explain himself. He gave man free will and dominion over the earth. You know, even this, talking about the hurricane, even this, this planet was transformed from perfection to instability due to sin. Do you realize that? When, when Noah who built the ark, when he believed God, he condemned the entirety of sinful mankind by putting his faith in God's word. And then Jesus himself shut the door on that ark and put that family in there and everybody else was wiped out. For 150 days, it had never rained before. Everything was just misted, like, a, like the little misters in the grocery store. Everything was misted and watered. Everything was wonderful. But water just erupted and broke out from the earth and so powerful and so mighty into the broke through what the atmosphere, whatever. And it began to rain. So from above and below, just devastating and tsunamis and tidal, whatever. For 150 days, it transformed everything that you see. The canyons and the mountains and all of that. Believe it or not. So we endured that catastrophe of water here in the earth. and 
He left the world as we know it now. It even turned on its axis a little bit. So the world is even just a remnant of its former self, just as sin did to the creation of mankind. But all of creation suffered from it, you see. There's a book in the Bible called Job, great man of God, John Osteen. He used to tell a story when he was a young minister. He, he preached for an hour and a half on the book of Job. <laughs> yes, there's hope for me. Praise God. If we were a defeated, unbelieving, faithless church, we could just stop right there. I could read you the first 30 some odd chapters of Job and let you hear the deceiving doctrines and deceptive theology and ideology and the wrong accusations made against God and the crazy thinking of man regarding God apart from the grace and truth found in Jesus Christ. Jeremiah 10.23 says, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not within man who walketh to direct his own steps. Jeremiah got it right. It's not up to us. We'll, we'll foul it up every time apart from God. If you're going to read the book of Job, which in South America, the book of Job, it's, all, it's, 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 it's really more highly regarded than the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's made for some terrible, terrible theology, folks. You have to... You have to have revelation knowledge from God. You have to have the help of the Holy Spirit. You have to have understanding and context when reading this Bible so that you can rightly divide the word. Otherwise, you can make it say anything. If you're going to read the book of Job, do yourself a favor and skip to chapter 42. <laughs> See, in the beginning, try not to go there because I have too much. But in the beginning, it, it talks about Job, who was a good man, a good and righteous man. And he, and he did what he thought was best regarding God. In other words, God was on his mind and he wanted to please a God that he knew was there. Okay? So basically, just saying that because he, he didn't have the Bible. This was the oldest book in the Bible. Most people think. And so he could have been, it does mention the patriarchs, but it doesn't, so it, it could have been after Abraham, but we don't know. But it's old. <laughs> but it talks about how he was wealthy. And, well, let me just, just mention a couple of things. I, I may not get to everything I'm talking about, want to talk about today, but I thought the Lord wanted, but I think we'll just, there was a man, this is Job starting in the beginning, there was a man in the land of Uz, or Uz, where are you from? 
Uh, whose name was Job, no, Job. <laughs> and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and learned and turned away from evil, okay? There was born to him seven sons and three daughters. Remember that. Seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that the man was the greatest of all the people of the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters and eat and drink with them. And when the day of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts, Thus Job did continually. So he was religious, but it wasn't based on any real knowledge. The, uh, I'm trying to just surmise, um, just uh, put this in a cliff note sort of for you. So what happened was Satan... Well, let me just keep reading. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? And really, in the Hebrew, it says, Have you set your eyes on Job? In other words, he was acquiring. Have you, have you, have you looked at Job? And... Um, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? So God was just really bragging on Job. He wasn't sicking the enemy on him. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Listen, he wasn't saying, I give you all that he has. Who did that? In other words, it's already, everything he has is already in, under your domain, your dominion. Because man gave it to you. Hmm? So that can fix a lot of bad theology, just understanding that right there. Nevertheless, he goes, Satan goes, and he, he destroys everything that, that Job has. And there's one more barrier had to be removed. And then he goes and he, he actually takes the lives of his, his, um, his children. He destroys all of their, their homes. And, um, and all of the animals and everything he had in his possession. And God told him, don't, don't touch Job's life. So he, but he did put sickness upon him. Great sickness. Um, it was really bad. Um, let me see here. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with a loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of 
broken pottery with which to scrape himself when he sat in the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. That is not the wife she needed to be. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. That settles that. Shall we receive good from God and shall not we receive evil? So again, this is his theology. And all this, Job did not sin with his lips or he did not accuse God. The fact is, though, that was up until that point. Up until that point. Because there's a lot of doctrine based around Job. And basically, people go to Job when they want to just wallow in their their problems and pity and they relate with Job and they take from his bad doctrine, his bad theology because he accused he accused he accused uh, a God in the next 30 something chapters oh, I want to say I don't know, maybe 50, 60 times. I used to know the number, but I can't remember it right now. But here's the thing. In the end, because it goes on for 30 some odd chapters there, where Job talks and his three friends, and then finally a fourth friend come in, and they all offer their religious wisdom. Supposed. And it's all about God and and accusing Job, and, you know, just different things. They accuse God, accuse Job, and it's all wrong. With some, with some truth mixed in. Remember, the enemy will always mix in a little truth. And then God has his say, finally. After 30 some odd chapters, in 38th chapter, God finally speaks. He says, okay, y'all have all had your say, now now listen here. (laughs) And he sets them straight, and he talks about himself, and he gives some truth about himself. And if you're going to just start reading there, read the first chapter, and then start in the 38th chapter, and skip all the nonsense that they say, or if you do read it, when you read it, realize that this is not God talking. It's all scripture, but it's supposed to be for us to find and see it and say, look, apart from God, look what will happen to us. This is how terrible doctrine and theology is created with just the thinking, the wrong thinking of man apart from God. In the end of the book, which is the best part, and I'll go back over there and just read that last page. I really got off here, but I, I, I said too much about it not to finish what I started, so I'm trying to fix it. <laughs> Most people think that this affliction of Job only lasted about nine months. Now, I mean, that's not fun if you're in the midst of that fire, but... But the whole thing went on for about nine months. 
And then look what happened. In, uh, in the 42nd chapter, Job repents of his foolish talk. This is important. And all this conjecture about God, not to mention his four religious friends, right? And then God has his say in the, in the 38th chapter, and it's all awesome. Then in the end, God restored Job to total health and blessed him. It says here, and the, and the Lord restored, the 10th verse of the 42nd chapter, and I'll get back on track here. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him, it says, which is again wrong. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. And listen to this. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had, remember in the beginning, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, right? So in this, now he had 14,000 sheep, double, 6,000 camels, double, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. Interesting. Why is that interesting to me? Huh? Except for the kids, right? Why? I think he did. He did because he had them first and then they came again. That's good. The kids are never truly lost, were they? They just went on to, to glory ahead of him. So he did give them double the children because he had seven more. Daughter, sons and three more daughters so yeah he did so that's hopefully that comforts someone I was I guess I was thinking about someone's loss recently when I thought about that but they just went on, on ahead of him never really lose your children but Job the whole point of that is because we want to Prepare ourselves, folks. There are wonderful, traumatic, and amazing times ahead of us in this world in the last days. And I really believe that I'm to be a part of that ever since the Lord called me to the ministry. And I know that the end times bride is going to be adorned with all the gifts and miracles and the signs and wonders and walking in power and love and victory. And we'll be out there to help, to heal, empower, love and prosper this hurting world and to build the kingdom. And we need to be prepared for not only the obvious lost and deceptive theology of the world, but also the wrong thinking and the things that keep the church powerless and defeated so that we're aware, you see. Not that we 
come against any of our brothers and sisters in Christ. But even in the Bible, you know, some Christians would come together, some believers, and, and, and some of them would take the others and go show them, teach them a more excellent way. They would, in, in other words, hey, let, us, let us visit with you. We want to, you know, you're doing great. You're out there spreading the word about Jesus, but let us let us help you with that. There's there's some things you're lacking, they're missing, and and that's where and that's where you can really help and love. If you're praying for those doors and windows of opportunity, God will give them to you. Like I said, the worst thing you can do is just go and be combative and act like you're someone's enemy, or uh, or or talk be demeaning or anything like that. But if you really want to be a blessing to someone and, and, and they do love God, then his truth will always make an impact on them. And you will be able to find ways and times and windows and doors of opportunity to share that with them. And even if they don't receive it from you right then, you've planted a seed and God will send someone as long as because we're always praying for what? Not just the hurting people of the world, but for what? The workers to go out into the harvest field. So we're praying for those ministers and, and missionaries and evangelists and pastors and teachers and prophets and apostles, right? Because they will go and water that seed that you planted. Amen. Glory to God. Job didn't have really any knowledge of Satan. That's why they blame God, they blame God for all the bad stuff. In the Old Testament, why, why, why wasn't, you know, you see in Ezekiel and, you know, there's some places where in type and shadow Satan is, and then he's mentioned in Job, but in type and shadow a couple of other places and that's it. Why? They had no power against him. Why tell someone about this big monster that they don't have any authority or power to help? Their only help was going to be found in God, you see? Job didn't have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was only given to in the old, even in the old covenant. Under and he didn't have a covenant. That's another thing he didn't have. He didn't have a covenant with God, and he didn't have the Holy Spirit. And he admitted that he that 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 he knew only what he had heard others say. There's a scripture in there, and, you, and you'll find it if you go and read Job now. But he says, I, I have only heard, when he repented, I believe, it's in that chapter when he says, yeah, I, when he's repenting, he says, I, I only repeated what I had heard of, of, from others about you, but now I see how wrong I was. You see that? And that's how wrong it will be usually when you just go by what, <laughs> if you're listening to the wrong Stuff. And it's important. You see? There's so much that that has been corrupted, even within the church, from the original church in the book of Acts. You see? Because you can't... Something like church discipline, which is very much a real thing in the, in the, in the body of Christ that God intended for His church, which it sounds... Believe me. I'm not saying this in a self-serving way. It's the last thing on my mind regarding. I don't want. To, I don't want to. But but that's how they handled things then. You know what I mean? Paul said, oh, "Well, reject this guy. He, he's off sleeping with his stepmom. You know, hey, shun him. Turn him over to Satan for a while, so he for destruction of his flesh, so that then 
you know, and then he tells him, okay, now restore him and love on him so that he's not overwhelmed by grief and, you know, and it's, he's repented. And see, this was effective. Can you do that today? Absolutely not. Why? Well, I had to pass 15 churches to get here this morning. They're just going to go to the next one. Hey. Half of them don't come to learn anyway. I'm here because God sent me to fix things. But nevertheless, I'm, I'm just making a point, and maybe it's not a good one, I, but I'm just telling you that we need to find out what God says. And if God said it, that settles it. And make sure we're rightly dividing the word. Hosea 4.6, here's what happened to Job. My people are perishing for a lack of knowledge. A lack of knowing me is what God says. But turn to Colossians 1. Let's, let's, let's look at us. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9, uh, 9 through 14. And so... From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you, all of you, and me, may be filled with the knowledge of His will. Look at that. Thank you, Jesus. The knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Hallelujah. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Look at that. Oh, God is just so mysterious. You can just never know what God... That's not true. Why would Ephesians 5.10 say, find out what pleases the Lord if you couldn't? God's secret was Jesus, and He's been revealed to us now, folks. Hallelujah. We don't have to guess. We have a personal relationship with the living God. You are His child. I told you last week, He doesn't have grandchildren, just children. He says we can run boldly into the throne room of grace, a place where even the high priest couldn't go but once a year before, even for 1,500 years in the covenant, just between Israel and the Hebrews and God. That wasn't even with the rest of the world, folks. That was, that was never with us. We were never under the law. Only the Hebrews were. God is a God of covenant. He is a... You know, He stood beside me in that courtroom. He is, a, he is like an attorney. He is the, the... Because He is all about law and order and His word. His, if He makes a covenant agreement with someone, He stands by it. And the one you have is just better than anything that's ever been. And that's what we have to come to understand. Quit trying to mix the, you know, and, and just get our theology. We have to get these, you know, you got, I'm going to get ahead of myself. Where was I? 
increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power. Look at that. According to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you, has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has has delivered us. Say, he has delivered me from the domain of darkness and transferred me to the kingdom of his beloved son. (laughs) You have a new spiritual zip code, folks. Yeah. And it's the best address you could ever have. In whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. We receive knowledge from God. And we're strengthened with power. And rescued from the dominion of darkness. And brought into the kingdom of light. In Jesus we're redeemed. That means we're purchased. Blood bought children The precious blood of Jesus Christ has purchased us which made us to be forgiven and made righteous and holy in God's sight. When you go to God, you need to quit approaching Him on the basis of your deeds and your worthiness and your actions and you need to know that He sees you based on what Jesus has done. Everything Jesus did has been credited to your account. You are in Christ. So when he sees you, he sees Christ. Or he sees fallen Adam. One or the other. That's it. Quit approaching him on your own merits. That's why we don't receive from him the way that we should sometimes. I started watching a little bit of this Father Stew last night and I had to turn it off. Never mind. Maybe I'll edit that out. Religion is not good, folks. There is good religion. Religion on his face is not bad, but I'm talking about false doctrine. I'm talking about religion that makes you do dumb things that oppose the real nature and provision of the grace of God that has been obtained through Jesus Christ through the atonement. (laughs) Matthew chapter 7. Let's, Let's just go there. Holy Spirit, just just have your way. Just <laughs> just uh, sew this sew this tapestry together in, in a beautiful way that you do, Lord. Have your way. This is your church, Lord God. Matthew chapter seven, verses twenty-four through twenty-seven, and it's telling us Jesus is speaking here, and he's telling us to build our house on the rock. Well, we know that the Israelites in the desert. 
They had a pet rock, folks. And that water would come from that rock. And that's a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He is our rock. <laughs> but listen, I want to tell you this parable talking about a storm coming into Florida. Praise God. We just thank you, Lord, for protecting all life and property there. And then it turns and goes away in Jesus' name. Verse 24 of Matthew chapter 7. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them. Everyone who hears these words of mine. This is Jesus talking and does them. Will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Folks, building on the rock means building on Jesus and making the foundation of your life on doing the word. Isn't that what he said? Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, that's the one who put his house on the rock. That's right. Yeah, we're be to do's, not do to bees. We're not, we don't do that so that God will accept us we do that because it's the wisdom that God gave us to protect us against this and in this fallen world. Yeah. Obtaining revelation knowledge. That's how he's building his church on, remember, not on Peter, not on that rock, but on the rock of revelation knowledge and applying it to our lives. Not just forever hearing and never doing. Yeah, I mean, if it's from God and we know that He is good, then why don't we take His advice? He loves us. That's wisdom. That's faith. That's allowing God to make provision and protection for you because you have centered your life in Him and His abundant supply of grace and allowing Him to rule and, and to reign in life through you, which causes you to rule and reign in life. Because you're dead. The best way to live free and in peace, which is what real grace brings, freedom and peace, is to reckon yourselves dead because of sin, but alive in Christ. This life that I now live is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me now. And if it raised Christ from the dead, he will also give life to this mortal body. Praise God. <laughs> God didn't send a flood. He sent his word. Amen. So did God do that? You hear the words of mine and do them, you'll be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And God caused the rain to fall, and God caused the floods to come, and God caused the winds to blow and beat the house down. No, it doesn't say that. God's not judging the world, and God's not judging the world's sin. I just got kicked out of 40% of the churches in it this morning. No, because they love to say that. Luke chapter 9, verse 52 through 56. I'm going to read this from the Amplified Bible because it amplifies it a little bit. <laughs> but, uh, a little Luke chapter 9, verse... 52 through 56, Jesus was, they didn't have radio and newspapers and television back then. So he sent messengers ahead of him to prepare these little towns and villages. Hey, he's coming. Huh? Luke chapter 9, verse 52. He sent messengers on ahead of him and they went into a Samaritan village to make arrangements for him. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's going through Samaria. But the people would not welcome him. These are the same people who had praised him <laughs> when, he, when they came out of the town after he met the woman at the well. But now they wouldn't welcome him. Because he was going to Jerusalem. See, they hated each other. <laughs> when his disciples... James and John saw this. They said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and destroy them? But he turned and rebuked them and he said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are. For the Son of Man, speaking of himself, did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they journeyed on to another village. Well, see, James and John, what were they doing? They were living in that old covenant still. Because Elijah, well, he had called down fire from heaven a few times. <laughs> Hadn't he? In First and Second Kings. But Jesus was saying, no more. That's over. I, I came to do away with that. Matthew 24, verse 7. Jesus says, For nation will rise against nation, 
and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Not God causing it. Didn't we establish that? It's it's fallen man. They're going to fight. They got free will, and their choices have been causing problems ever since, and causing tragedy and, 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 and terrible things to happen. The fallen earth continuing to devolve as hurricanes and earthquakes and all these things happen, huh? We could talk about Sodom and Gomorrah. We could talk about the great flood some more. We could talk about the wages of sin and death that it talks about in the Bible. And that's in the New Testament. That the wages of sin is death. But I, I just want to challenge you to think of that through the new covenant lenses of grace for this church era, this time in which we live. That Think of that as just basically the, the, the flesh, the law of sowing and reaping in place. Okay? Instead of thinking of eternal damnation. Now, before you start thinking, I'm, I'm turning to be a universalism church. I'm not. They're wrong. <laughs> but, but I want to just show you some things so that you, you start to understand your identity and, 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 and what Jesus has done and what Jesus has provided for you and where we are at in the history of mankind. Look at John chapter 5, verse 22. John chapter 5, the Gospel of John chapter 5, verse 22. This is Jesus talking. And Jesus is the exact representation of God, the Father. I only do what I see my Father do. Acts 10.38 Jesus of Nazareth was anointed with the Holy Ghost and with power and He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. He's the exact representation of the Father. Same yesterday, today, and forever. His mind, his heart, has always been toward grace. Always. I can even prove that through Scripture. There's just there's never enough time. John 5.22, Jesus said, For the Father judges no one but has given all judgment to the Son. God is not judging sin. God is not judging America. America, by rejecting God and calling evil good, is opening every door for the devil to come in and have his way. Yes? yes? Did God do that? He certainly did not. He gets a bad rap, folks. God's not causing people to fly airplanes into buildings. He's not bringing floods and earthquakes and plagues upon the land to judge the sin of the world. 
And he doesn't do, he doesn't use the devil to, to do his bidding. I used to be in a church and they said, that devil's a bad dog, but he's, he's God's dog. That's a lie. You think he needs... I'm, I'm good and holy and I, lo I am love, but I have a hitman that I use occasionally. <laughs> Can I just say it's a damn lie, folks? Do you see how ridiculous it is? And, and, and the things I'm speaking against and acting like I have to convince you, and I know I don't, but I just want to get it in there because these are things I'm speaking against. That in, I would say the majority of the churches in this country, they, they think those things are true. But it... They refuse to let the Bible get in the way of what they want to believe. It's just... It's just... <laughs> we're going to get into some of that. I have to... I have to... I, I can't be so all over the place. I have to make specific points... <laughs> And just drive it home. God has is, is, just been talking to me about certain things. And we, he wants to go so far. And then I look around and I see, you know, every week, half or a third of us missing. And, and then, and, you know, it's, it's like, oh, Lord, it's, it's not about me. This is why if God has told you to be here and this is where you're supposed to be planted. And, and I'm talking about if you have to work. And my own wife, she has to work almost every Sunday. But she's my biggest listener. <laughs> but I'm just saying, God is take God, when He plants you somewhere, see, that's what, another problem with bouncing around from place to place. I mean, if God has a new season for you in a new chapter, I'll get excited with you about that. The same with the reason you come. Oh, wonderful. What did God say? Oh, well, I'm leaving because I'm mad at this other. Hold on, let's talk. Let's talk about this. you got to fix that. The same way if you're leaving for that reason. You, come on, please talk to me again. Or, you know, or if you've told me you don't want to talk, well, then you're, that's, that's, that's your, I'm going to respect that. But I'll pray for you until one day, hopefully, you will come back because I can help you. <laughs> and that's all, my, all, all I care about. All I care about when I stand before the Lord, He says, well done. Good and faithful servant. And not just, well, I guess you're done. <laughs> John 12, verses 47 and 48. If anyone hears my word and does not keep them, I do not judge him. This is Jesus talking now. First, he said, Father's not judging anyone. He's given all judgment to the Son. And now, he's telling, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, he just told them, you're foolish if you don't, right? Didn't he tell us that? <laughs> but he says, I, I do not judge them. He didn't say, if anyone does, hears my words and doesn't keep them, 
I'll bring judgment. I'll bring floods and earthquake. No, he, he said, I, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on that last day. Jesus will judge on that last day. That's judgment day. But not now, folks. He's not judging sin now. Luke 2.14 Glory to God in the highest. Remember when he was born and the angels spoke to the shepherds in the field. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. From God toward men. I am sending a Savior. I am sending the, the Prince of Peace. I am fixing what is broken between man and me. For whosoever, remember, are you a whosoever will receive him. He's not saying peace amongst men, as some versions say. That's why I had to write it in the King James. Because it's not, you know, I, I appreciate all the, the beauty contestants. Huh? Peace on earth. And that's not going to happen. Not until Jesus comes. There is a new Jerusalem on its way here. Amen. Where we will rule and reign with him for a thousand years. Amen. Yes. But it's not here yet. And this world has fallen. And there's going to be wars and rumors of world, wars and floods and earthquakes. And all these bad things are going to happen. John 3.17 For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. Yes. Now look, here's where Jesus took up his ministry in Luke chapter 4. And I'm almost done here. I don't want to be, but I'll find a way to... Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. Jesus stood up in the synagogue and they handed him a scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he rolled up the scroll and he handed it back to the attendant and sat down. Hey, listen, the next, if he would have went on, he would have been talking about the judgment of God, but he stopped because right now we are in the acceptable year of the Lord, folks. Judgment will come later, but grace is here now. Take advantage of the opportunity to share the love and the life of Christ. No sin is being imputed or counted against us now. We all have access to grace by faith. Second Corinthians chapter 5 
Verse 19 says, That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. We're talking about our ministry now. Jesus' ministry, which he left and gave over to us. So this is our ministry. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. How many times does the Bible have to say it before his people will believe him? And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. This is why we share the gospel, folks. This is why I preach. This is why we give our testimony. We have to help in the harvest while there's still time. You can't be born again unless you hear the gospel, the good news. I was I was at a someone's home the other day and this old man was in a lawn chair there and him and his buddy and it came up. I was a pastor of this church and what kind of church is it? I like them. I like them kind of really really just Give it to you. And his buddy goes, hellfire and brimstone? He goes, yeah, that's it. <clears throat> I was like, well, might be true, but that's not the gospel. You want to make an old guy mad? <laughs> mess with his theology, you see? Don't mess with what I want to believe. The gospel literally means too good to be true news. <laughs> so if you, if you don't repent and turn to the Lord, you're going to go to hell. That's true. But there's nothing good about that. The good news is Jesus died for your sins. He provided a way, right? You know, all the good stuff about Jesus and the atonement and his acceptance. Isaiah 53. Have I got a few more minutes? Just uh, Okay. Isaiah 53, verse 10, 11. Says, yet, this is, this, is, this is the good news, okay? This is the Old Testament prophesying, Isaiah prophesying about what, what God the Father was going to do with his son Jesus. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, speaking of Jesus, Isaiah 53, verses 10 and 11. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, speaking of Jesus. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. Jesus' soul made an offering for guilt. Whose guilt? The guilt of the whole world, folks. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross satisfied God's judgment for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 2.2 says, He is the propitiation, which means payment, for our sins, and not just for ours only, 
but also for the sins of the whole world. His blood was the atoning price to redeem or purchase every person who ever lived from all for all eternity. But they have to receive it. It doesn't happen automatically. It has to be received. They have to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They have to put their faith, their trust in this grace and receive it. And folks, we were born to seek God. That's what we're here for. This is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and your son Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. How do you know him? He said, when you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. We were born to seek God. 2 Corinthians 6, verses 1 and 2 says, Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. If he's telling you he's appealing and urging you not to receive the grace of God in vain, it means that you can. For he says, in a favorable time, which is now. That's now, right? This is the year. <laughs> in a favorable time, I listened to you, and in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Don't just neglect this amazing gift and think that we can just do whatever we want the grace of God is the power of God and the provision of God to be and to do all that he's called us to be and to do. If we just think that we can still just do whatever we want, that's just vanity, folks. That's just vanity. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish. God's will is that no one should perish. That no one should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So what does that do to the universalism doctrine? It says that everyone is just automatically saved. Luke 19.10 says, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. But people have to make a personal decision, don't they? 1 Timothy 2.4 says, God desires all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of God, uh, knowledge of the truth. And then, of course, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So the knowledge of the truth is to know God, to know Jesus. Eternal life. John 18, verse 8 and 9 says, And when he comes, Jesus is promising that I'm going to leave now, but it's good that I go because now my Father will send the promised Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. Jesus is with us now, my agency of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, right? And when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. 
That's the sin that remains. All sin now is a symptom of unbelief in Jesus' perfect sacrifice. All sin. His perfect sacrifice, His perfect provision for our lives and our eternal destiny. That's why this, this universalism, and I'm, the reason I'm mentioning it is because it's very, very, very popular, folks. Why? It fits everyone's lifestyle. It fits the Jesus of everyone's imagination. And it's not mean because they don't have to reject anyone who believes in any other God or deity too because they're all good. That's a lie. He's a jealous God. He's not going to share His... Why would He send His Son to die that way just to be one of the ways? So, it doesn't add up. And I'll just touch on this because I'm not going to have time to teach or anything on it and I wouldn't plan. But Calvinism, how many of you are Calvinists? <laughs> how many of you even know what that is? Any tulip lovers in here? I like tulips. But there's a, there's a five points of Calvinism. It's called tulip, but anyway. And they're all bad. <laughs> and then there's... Different points of Calvinism. You're a 1.2 point, 3 point, 4 point, 5 point Calvinist. Most of you are probably at least 1 point Calvinist. It's all bad theology, folks. And I'm not... It just has various degrees. It's all bad. They all hurt people is why I'm telling you this. Another time. Predestination is one of them. The sovereignty of God is the worst of it. It's just where, well... Whatever happens, que sera, sera. Whatever happens, that's what God wanted to happen. Leaves people helpless and hopeless. Leaves people helpless and hopeless. And it's convenient theology from the pulpit. Yeah. Here's our message. And I'll just finish here. Our message is that God is patient and loving and wanting all men to turn to Jesus. But it has to be a matter of their free will. See, that's one of the other points of Calvinism. They say that there's a certain elect that God predestined and they can't even help, they can't even resist the grace of God. Have you ever resisted the grace of God? You can't resist it, can't you? Even though you're all born-again believers, you can resist the grace of God. <laughs> Nevertheless, it has to be a matter of free will. And it has to be a continued life of faith which will produce growth and fruit and character and, and building the kingdom. And that comes as a not as a means to obtain favor and acceptance from God, but as a byproduct of the personal relationship, the one-on-one -on -one relationship with, between you and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Not, not a relationship through somebody else for you. Uh,
Can you just give me one more minute? I want to read something to you. I just had this in case. But I, a great minister, a really, really awesome man of God, he recently sent this, and he just he wrote this, and he entitled it, Do, Do You Enjoy God? He's, and it reminded me, I, I said, that sort of sounds like I'm very familiar with this. Anyway, it says, One of the most faith-building and liberating seasons in my life was when I realized I could enjoy my walk with God and enjoy His fellowship. Psalm 16.11 says, You will show me the path of life, and your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Rather than approaching God from a position of unworthiness, guilt, or need, I one day realized that God loves me, not just theologically, and wants to walk and talk with me just as he desired to do with Adam and Eve. Soon my joy increased, my peace increased, and my faith increased. I began to get free from a lot of religious bondage that I wasn't even aware I still had. I became free to enjoy God. And in that freedom, I found that believing Him was easy. I know that He cares for me. That he wants me well. He wants me to prosper in every area of my life. And that he is pleased with me. That is hardly what, I, what is taught in many churches. And that is why so many Christians are unhappy and struggling. And whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he, says Proverbs 16.20. A good way to measure your true relationship with God is to see if you are living from a foundation of joy or if worry, fear, uncertainty, and guilt are with you constantly. You may need to believe something new about yourself and about God. You may need to know Him. Acts 2.28 says, You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Psalm 34, 4-8 through 8 says, I sought the Lord, and He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to Him and were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around, all around those who fear Him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. He ends by saying, Seek Him and let Him deliver you from whatever bondage keeps you down. Taste and see that you can enjoy God. I thought that was awesome and wanted to share it with you all. So thank you for letting me go over all my time, but I've uh, really enjoyed this time with you. I hope that the Lord has blessed you today and helped you in some way. Father, thank you for loving us, and thank you for sharing your truth with us. Thank you for protecting us from the lies of the enemy, whether they come from familiar surroundings or from people who mean well, Lord, and they're not 
of the devil, but sometimes they just have wrong theology and thinking. So protect us from that because those things can harm us as much as the things of this world, Lord. So protect us and continue to grow us in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we can be strong and we can live victorious lives having been helped, healed everywhere we heard, empowered by your promises, loved by you with your unending and undying love and prospered in every way so that we can go and help others with that same help we've received from you. Thank you, Lord, for all the wonderful things you have in store for all of those who have heard this message or who will hear it in the future. And thank you for everything that you have in store for us, Lord. We are expecting wonderful things and mighty exploits and demonstrations of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for everything that you've accomplished on our behalf. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.